Second Timothy, Second Timothy, chapter three. Have you ever seen a sign that scares you? How many of you do not like snakes? Hold your hand up, right? Oh, yeah. Snakes give me the heebie-jeebies, just. And, you know, literally, I was preaching, and they had a fellow there that was going to handle some poisonous snakes. And the guy said, now, I know how to handle them. You just hold what I tell you to hold. And I said, no, 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 no. No, I said, I was born at night, but not last night. I said, you're out of your mind if you think this chubby little boy is going to walk up there and let some snake look me over. And he said, oh, it, it, it's perfectly safe. I said, well, I got a question if it's perfectly safe. Why are those labels on those boxes that say danger deadly? How many of you understand there are signs you had better read and pay attention to. We had a wonderful airplane in our ministry. Boy, how it helped us. And when we got it from the salesman, he gave us a book and he said, I just want to tell you, he said, this airplane will serve you magnificently. But he said, if you're not careful, it'll kill you. He said, this airplane can let you go places on a schedule you could never otherwise keep. And boy, was he right. But he said, if you don't heed the warnings that we put all over everything, he said, this airplane will kill you. One of my dearest friends flying that plane got killed. And when I went to his funeral... All I could think of was, Bobby, how did you not heed the signs? What he did was a rookie's mistake. Everybody understands you don't keep your airspeed up, that plane falls out of the sky. And he let it get a little too slow and Boy, it not only crashed, it flipped and killed my dear friend. There's some signs you better read and heed. I've oft told the story of an incredible animal park I took my family to. And when we got there, the man who was our host said, you're going to love this. He said, the animals here are in the wild. They let them prey on each other. It's a total realistic experience. And when we got there, there were these humongous signs, bigger than this whole stage, that kept saying warning. And what it said was just two things. It said, number one, keep your windows up. Never put your fingers outside your windows. And then number two, it said, whatever you do, don't turn on your windshield wipers. It infuriates the animals. And I thought, what is the rules? 
But you know what? They repeated that sign several times. Then we get up to where this guy comes up to us and he said, did you see the signs? I said, yeah. And he said, could you tell me what they say? I said, don't put your fingers outside your windows and don't turn on your windshield wipers. He said, you got it. He said, would you mind signing right here that you read that? And I said, you know, it strikes me there's a lot more print on that page. Could I read the rest of it? And, you know, he said, well, what are you, a lawyer? I said, well, you're a good day. Yeah, I am. Let me read this thing. <laughs> Just look at it. So I read it, and in essence, it said, if one of the animals eats you, we're not responsible. <laughs> we only got two rules. Keep your windows up. Don't stick anything out, especially your fingers. And number two, don't turn on your windshield wipers. Well, we pull into this park, and it was something. We weren't in there five minutes, and a lion went by with like an antelope in its mouth, and the antelope was flopping and kicking. And my daughter Sharon said, What's that lion doing with that antelope? And I said, Oh, they're just playing. They're, they're, just, they're just playing with each other. I didn't want to tell her, that's breakfast, that's eating that baby up. Well, we're going along, and right in front of us is a brand spanking new Cadillac, and this was back, they don't do it anymore that I know of, where they would put these leather roofs on cars. And we're going along, and we come to a place where a bunch of orangutans come out. And they run and jump up on the car, and look at you through the windshield. And suddenly you understand, they're not in the cage, you are. <laughs> and up close and personal, those boys are like ugly. <laughs> what they want to do is they, they come up and they raise their lips up and they curl them, and they show you their teeth, and then they stick out their tongue at you. And I mean, this is like amazing. And then they put their faces on your windshield, and it's like they want to kiss you through the windshield. And I mean, they're just going... Boy could remind you of a bad date. I mean, it is just <laughs> terrible. I shouldn't have said that. That is going to haunt me. Oh. Brother Shirley's already ordering copies, right? <laughs> Getting something back there. Well, you've got this slobber everywhere. Now, remember... Only two rules. And one of them is don't turn on your wipers. Well, this Cadillac, which we later found out, only had under a thousand miles on it. The guy just got it. Has got these orangutans all over it, slobbering up the windshield, something fierce. And the guy decides to clean the windshield. 
And when he turned on the wipers, those orangutans went nuts. That quick, they pulled both of the wipers off the car. And they started jumping around and beating on the car. And one of them's on the roof and beat on it and cut the leather. And the minute they cut that leather top, they picked that top clean in under two minutes. They ate the leather roof. So now the guy has orangutans and a bald roof and no windshield wipers. And my wife said, boy, that's, wouldn't you thought, only two rules. Well, we went around him because the guy was just mortified. <laughs> and we came up to where there's another car, and they got more orangutans out with some other monkeys and things that are a little bigger. And they're coming up, and this guy, doing something stupid beyond words, has lowered his window about that amount and is sticking a styrofoam cup out. And they're going nuts, nuts. And I said, look at that. The guy is sticking stuff out. And I pulled my car over so my wife could see, which was because that quick, he lowered it just a hair more. And when he put it up there with lightning quick reflexes, that animal and had the guy's fingers and pulled them through the window and chomped them off and ate them. This is an amazing place to take your kids. <laughs> We have not been in the park 30 minutes, and I've already seen enough. <laughs> and you know what the question is? It was grim that day. But they were warned. But in spite of the warnings, they didn't listen. My precious friend with the airplane, he'd been warned, but he didn't listen. Do you know the Bible is full of some incredible warnings? And we're about to read one that Paul, under the moving of the Holy Spirit, wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And if we're not careful, we sort of want to read this passage prophetically. And this passage, while it surely is prophetic in certain respects, was a warning. God said, I want to warn you about some stuff that is so dangerous, it's got the power to destroy. Read with me. Most of you know the passage already. Chapter 3, verse 1. 
This know also that in the last days, perilous times should come. Now, I want you to underline the word perilous in your Bible. The word perilous there means fierce. It means unspeakably dangerous. It means savage. There's only one other place in the Bible that this word is used. I want you to turn there, Matthew chapter 8, so that you can mark it. Matthew chapter 8, verse 28, is the only other place that you will find this word used in scriptures. Speaking of Jesus, Matthew 8, 28, and when he was come to the other side into the country of the Gergesens, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, and here's the word, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass that way. These people were so savage, so wild, no one could make it through there because of them. And Paul, under the moving of God, uses that word to warn you and me. He said fierce, savage, perilous times are going to come. Now, God in this passage enumerates 18 different things to warn us about. Let me read them. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, that means they can't control themselves, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, and have enumerated the 18 different things, here's the command of God, from such turn away. He didn't just say, this is what you're going to see in the last days prophetically in the world. He said, this is going to invade. And God said, whatever you do, this is fierce beyond words. Get away from this. Tonight, I've picked three of God's admonitions. It's not that these three are any more special than any of the 18. But I've watched these three come into the church, and we don't even think they're sins anymore. Rather than being alarmed by God's warning sign, we've gotten comfortable with these. And the command of God is, this is dangerous, and I don't want you getting comfortable with it. I want you to get away from it. That man with his ministry where he'd bring out these snakes and all that to show the kids and garner their interest, I said, I want you to understand something. When you bring them out, I'm not going to be on the platform. I'm not going to be on the front row. I'm going to be in the back. 
Because I want to get away from that. But these sins have crept into God's people. And now we're sort of accepting of them. And we wonder why our prayers don't bring down the answers we desire. And we wonder why the power that God said is there. Is it seemingly ineffectual? Well, I want you to mark these three. No one can answer for another, but each must answer for himself. And I chose these three because I struggle with them. And I have to believe if they're a challenge in my life, they could be a challenge in your life. Please remember, turning away from these is not God's suggestion. It's God's command. There is no such thing as a worthy Christian who doesn't get away from these. Here's the first one. I took exactly where it started. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. You know what I've discovered? We don't mind loving God as long as it doesn't mess up loving ourselves. And I know we're supposed to love others, and I want to do that as long as it doesn't mess up my love for me. And every one of us inherently has an affection for self. And we become lovers of self. Now, I love what Spurgeon said. He said there's three tip-offs, and boy, it's as if he knew America in this hour. He said, you want to know if somebody's a lover of self? Well, write these three down. He said, number one, they want to be pampered. They want to be pampered. You say, well, Brother Gibbs, are, are you criticizing what they've done here for the ladies? No, as long as you don't think that's life. Do I think it's wonderful to do something extra special, to show honor to the ladies and do something gracious for them? Absolutely. Except all of a sudden, we think that's how we should be treated all the time. And all of a sudden, women spend more at a tanning salon or at a beauty parlor or a nail place. Because after all, that's just the way it is. No, that's the way love of self is. We have gotten comfortable thinking we deserve to be pampered. When you travel a great deal, you have to put up with airplanes. And probably the most frustrating thing in any airplane is the seats, especially when you're my size. I have no idea who they created those seats for, but it was nothing human. They're small, they're tight, they're uncomfortable. And if you fly a great deal, uh, you can often get upgrades. Boy, I appreciate them when we can get them. But lots of times you can't. Well, I couldn't get an upgrade, but I'm on a flight across the country. But I got an aisle seat. And I'm sitting there, and a woman comes in carrying a baby, and she sits right down next to me. Nice lady. And I'm kind of thinking, boy, wish that baby wasn't on planet Earth right now. 
I mean, I'm going to live with that baby the next six to seven hours. And I don't mind my grandkids. I just don't like anybody else's grandkids <laughs> sitting next to me for a six-hour flight. How many of you all understand what I'm saying, right? I mean, it's... And I'm sitting there, and suddenly this guy comes in and is handing her a little bit of food. And, and real quick, I put the dots together. This is her husband. And he's sitting in the back. And I... I'm just trying to pretend I don't see anything. You know what? When you love yourself, you'll get real good at not seeing what you don't want to see. Now, the Lord started speaking to my heart, and I'm thinking, you know, if I did what was nice, I'd let him come up here. And I'd go back there, but I'd turn back, and there's a huge airplane. He is sitting in the middle section where there's five seats across, and he's in the middle. These are like torture rack seats. <laughs> but I'm looking at him back there, and I'm thinking, oh, boy. And finally, I asked the lady, I said, was, was that like your husband? Oh, she said, yeah. I said, probably be a real blessing to you and something nice if he could sit next to you, huh? Oh, she said, you don't want to do that. She said, his seat back there is miserable. And I said, amen, I don't want to do it. <laughs> you say, Brother Gibbs, you could have done something nice for them. Why don't you just jump up and do it? Because I love me. And I'm watching out for me. And I'm real sorry you're not going to be sitting next to your baby and by your wife, but I got me to take care of. And all of a sudden, I'm telling you, God, how many of you ever had the Lord just start working you over a little bit? And I said to her, you know, I said, I'm a Christian, and the Lord's been talking to my heart. And if you were my wife, I'd want somebody to do this. If you were my daughter, and this was my grandchild, I'd want somebody to do it. And my Bible says I'm to do to others as I'd have them do to me. Do you know what happens when you love self? You will cancel that verse every time you get a chance. She said, well, you sure don't have to. I said, oh, yeah, I do. That's a Bible command. I made my way back, and this guy comes out, and I said, would you like to go up and sit by your wife? Really nice guy. He said, no, you don't want to do that. He said, this seat is crummy. And he said, you're big, and I got a big lady sitting on both sides of me. And he said, you... You don't want to do this. And I thought, glory to God, has this boy got wisdom or what? He's right. I don't want to do this. Man, I looked in that row, and there were two really well-feathered ladies. And I mean, that middle seat, which is only that big to start with, was now this big, all right? 
and I'm man. Like, I'm going to be baloney between two. <laughs> when you love self, you'll find every reason to say not a good idea. He looked at me and he said, just out of curiosity, he said, why would you offer such a nut thing? I said, well, let me explain to you. I'm a Christian. And I said, my life doesn't belong to me. And I'm supposed to do to others as I'd want them. And, and if I were, I said, are you getting what I'm saying? Never forget, he said, yeah, you're a real Christian. I said, well, not nearly as good as I ought to be. Because you just can't believe the war that went on in me against wanting to do this. <laughs> now, I didn't realize what the Lord was going to do next. He said, uh, is there anything I can do for you? I said, no, nah, thanks anyway. He said, uh, it was when they were holding the Winter Olympics in Salt Lake. He said, would uh, you like tickets to the Olympics? I said, like to what? You understand, we were trying to get soul winners into every venue. And we did all the stuff, but we couldn't get the prize tickets. He said, my father-in-law, he said, the granddad of that baby up there, owns a humongous printing company. And we just bought almost a million dollars worth of tickets. And I'm in charge of giving them away. And he said, I don't care what the ticket is, it's yours. And he said, if there's anybody that ought to have them, it's somebody who's going to do to others. Do you know what? We had soul winners in every venue with the biggest tickets you ever saw. We got to give out thousands of tracks in every event. We had passes to the village where all the athletes were. I've often thought, I wonder what would have happened if I'd have said, I'm not giving up this. And by the way, it was a miserable six and a half hours. <laughs> Those ladies were not only big, they seriously needed deodorant. Seriously. <laughs> I grew up in feedlots and slaughterhouses, and odors don't bother me. Those ladies could shame a cow. They could. Man alive. I got to where I didn't want them to pass anything because they lifted their arms and that started another whole wave. When's the last time you said, I'm not going to love myself today? 
want to love others more than me? Or do you just want to be pampered? He says, you want to know if you love yourself. Number one, they pamper. Number two, you attract to yourself. Isn't it amazing how we want to be noticed? How we posture to get noticed? Because we love ourselves and we crave being noticed. But it's not just pampering yourself and attracting to yourself, it's excusing yourself. Now, maybe this is no challenge for you, but it sure is for me. I can excuse myself because I love myself. Now, if you do the same thing, I'm not going to excuse it. But when I do it, because I love myself, I deserve to be understood. I have in my pocket the nicest pen I own was a gift, was very expensive. And one day, my oldest granddaughter sitting on my lap, she was probably about four at the time, and she wanted to pull that pen out and play with it. And I wouldn't have let anybody else do it, but that's my granddaughter. She picked that pen out and that quick threw it. And it hit the metal on the table leg and put a dent in the best pen I own. And you know what I said? That's okay. Because I love her more than I love me. Now, if your kid had done that, <laughs> you'd still be telling this story how Brother Gibbs skinned him alive. Do you know what happens? When we love ourselves, we get pampered. And we start preferring ourselves. I was sitting on an airplane, and I had gotten an upgrade. And down the aisle comes this very treasured preacher, a wonderful saint, a man that has preached for 60 years. And I saw him and I said, preacher, oh, man. I said, you're, you're going where I'm going? He said, yeah, I am. I said, that's tremendous. I said, where are you sitting? He said, oh, he said, I, I just got on the flight. And he said, I, I'm in the back. And I, I said, no, no, you're right here. And he said, why would you do that? I said, between you and me, because I'm fighting loving myself. You see, it's a battle. And God said, from such, turn away. Don't you go there. To the young people here, our whole culture says, of course you love yourself. That's how you have a positive self-image. That's critical. You must love yourself. And you know what God says? From such, turn away. Savage 
perilous times are going to come. God said, here's one of the benchmarks. People will love themselves. The whole contemporary church movement, in my opinion, from all that I've seen, is built on the fact, love yourself and what do you want? It's not built on making people better. It's built on giving people what they want. Do you understand the purpose of the word of God is to change us for the better? And boy, if you want to get a crowd, just tell people, we just want you happy, and what do you want will be it. A man wrote an incredible book. I recommend you read it. It's called This Little Church Went to Market. And it's all about just giving people what they want, from music to the preaching to everything. But you know what's at the heart of it? Men love themselves. I have to go to the altar regularly because, and maybe you don't find this, but Brother Sturgeon, putting self to death is not an easy thing. It keeps wanting to resurrect. And pretty soon I get tired, I get put out, I get fatigued, and I say, you know, all of a sudden I'm back for me again. God's looking for somebody who says, by God's grace, I'm going to love the Lord, and I'm going to love others, and I'm going to get away from being a lover of myself. It will change everything. Look at the second one that I've chosen. Number one, lovers of self. Number two, he said they'll be proud. Proud. A Christian can't do anything more spiritually destructive and with respect stupid than to be proud. James chapter 4 verse 6, 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 5 says, God resisteth the proud. Do you understand in any measure you have pride, you got God against you. And I have people all the time saying, boy, Brother Gibbs, it's just not turning out like I thought. I, I don't understand it. And I always want to ask them, are you sure you don't have God against you? I said, no, I'm a Christian. The fact you're a Christian doesn't mean you don't have God against you. God said, I will resist the proud. When God enumerated in Proverbs the sins that he hated, you know the first one that he said? The Lord hates a proud look. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy. If a person's proud, they don't fear God. Pride has canceled all of that. And yet pride is insidious because of how we want to measure it. We think, as long as I'm not as proud as others are, I'm okay. Because after all, they're really proud. 
and I'm not that proud. And you know what God never said? I don't want you to be as proud as unsaved people. He said, I don't want you to be proud at all. On a zero to ten scale, with zero being pride has been vanquished, and ten being at moments it's running rampant, where are you at? God says, I'll oppose you. Because pride is that sin that vaults self. The scripture commands us to humble ourselves. The scripture says we're supposed to be the people who by God's grace died to self. When's the last time you died to self? Now, Paul said he did that exercise daily. I die daily. And I'm afraid I haven't been as good at that as I nearly ought to be. And you know, it's possible for us to be here in this conference for all the right reasons, but because we're proud, we got God against us. And we got God hating that look that's on our face, the pride. Now, you can't extinguish it for me, nor I for you. But every person here is 100% in control of extinguishing it in your life. I look at some of these young people that are so gifted and so talented and my experience is the more gifts you have, the more talent you have. If you're not careful, getting proud is an easy thing to do. Boy, look at me. Listen to me. And they are incredible. But you know what God says? You don't have one talent I didn't give you. Don't you get sassy about it. I love Brother Fisher's preaching, and I, I love Brother Shemish's preaching. Do you know what? One little blood vessel in Brother Shemish's brain gets a little bulge, he'll never preach again. How God's used that man to change my life. How God's used Brother Fisher. But we better be very careful that we don't start thinking we're something. But for the grace of God, we're nothing. We're nothing. Would you mark this in your notes? The most dangerous thing that I see is the word ambition. Now, Brother Gill walked right up to this, and I love Brother Gil Torres' preaching. That's one of the greatest servants I know. But ambition is premised on pride. Vision is premised on God. And when's the last time you said, I want what God wants, not what I want? Or are you full of ambition? Ambition will sink you. Vision 
is God, whatever you want, that's what I want. And that'll make all the difference in the world. God said, I don't want you to love self, and I don't want you to be prideful. But he caps it with the third one, and he says, unthankful. Unthankful. I wonder if you are a thankful person. Now, the scriptures are clear, in everything, give thanks. Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always for all things. I love 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Do you know, if you're not thankful, you are nowhere near the will of God. People come up to you and say, Brother Gibbs, would you pray for me? I'm searching out the will of God. And I always tell them, well, I can help you with a few of them because it's in the Bible. I say, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I say, well, God wants you to give thanks for everything. And they say, no, 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 I'm looking for guidance on the will of God. That is, by scriptural command, the will of God. But when you love self, all of a sudden pride comes in. And when pride comes in, you quickly feel, I deserve better. And suddenly you're unthankful. I tell people, if you're going to be a servant, you better do it under the Lord, because if you're looking for thanks from most people, you'll never get it. Now, the Lord will never forget and will record it and reward it for all eternity. But I find people everywhere are less thankful than they have ever been. But in my life, am I thankful? I was sitting on the platform in a church. We're about to start the morning service. It was about the time of Thanksgiving, time of year here in America, and remember, we celebrate thanksgiving, not thanksgetting. Most people want to celebrate thanksgetting. We're to celebrate thanksgiving. But I'm sitting on the platform, and an unusual sight happened. The doors open in the back. It was a fairly large auditorium. And two men were carrying a young man down the side, and sitting on the platform, you just could not help but see it, because I have never seen two men with their arms locked straddle help carry somebody down the church over to the side and put them on the front pew over there. The young man they were carrying was horrifically disformed. And when you looked at his deformity, you couldn't help but ask, how did he ever survive that? How did he ever get like that? I'm sitting by the preacher and he said, I, I noticed that you're noticing Kyle over there. And I said, is that the young boy? He said, yeah. I said, preacher, was he born like that? He said, no. 
He's born perfectly normal. Now, I'm looking at him, and I cannot describe or mimic his deformity. But his arms were like corkscrewed. Take my hands and revolve them again. His head was turned, and his face was flattened, and both of his legs were wound, and the one ended up pointing sideways, and the other one had the heel in front and the toe in the back. I said, was he born like that? And he said, no, he's born perfectly normal. I said, what happened? He said, Brother Gibbs, his father was a drunkard. Came home one night with some drunken friends and literally knocked the mother out, hit her and rendered her unconscious. And then in their drunken stupor, went and got a little one-year-old baby out of bed. He said what they did was unspeakable. They took a screaming little baby and started tossing him one to another, and they kept dropping him and horribly damaged his face. And then one picked him up and literally whirled him by an arm, shattering it. And then the other arm, and then each leg. He said that the baby survived was just a miracle in itself. But he said these men in their drunkenness, this little baby lay mangled on the floor, now unconscious, and he said, Brother Gibbs, they fell into a drunkard's sleep, and when they woke up, they realized the gravity of what they'd done. So they never took the little guy to a doctor. And what you see is how he healed. I said, wow. He said, we have two physicians in the church. They meet him every Sunday morning and give him pain-killing drugs so that he can sit through the service. He never misses a service. And he can't dress himself. And he has to have these drugs because he can't stay upright. But he said, Brother Gibbs, he is one of the best witnesses that our church has. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said he doesn't miss anybody. And he said, when we want him to the Lord, we explained to him about baptism. And he said, well, I want to get baptized, but we have a problem. He said, if you move me in the water like that, he said, I'll pass out. And he said, I told him, you know, Kyle, we understand. God knows you just can't do it. You would if you could. And he said, no, no, I want to be baptized. Help me think of how. And this young man came up with the idea. He said, could you tape me to a chair? And would God be offended if you baptized me taped to a chair? I'll try not to scream. That preacher looked at me and he said, Brother Gibbs, I've baptized a lot of people. But he said, I'm telling you, I heard angel wings when I baptized that boy. Because you know what his testimony was to the church? I'm so thankful 
that I can be baptized. He said, Brother Gibbs, you've never met anybody as thankful as him for everything. He said, we have a day of work here where we ask the men to come help with the grounds and stuff. He wants to come. He can't do anything, but he, he sits there and prays for everybody. And he's thankful. When the service was over, man, I kind of made a beeline right down to him. And I said, you know what? I'm Dave Gibbs. I want to just shake your hand. Oh, he said, I know who you are. He said, you know, my name's Kyle. I said, I, yeah, I heard that. He said, I got a question for you, Mr. Gibbs. I said, sure, Kyle, what? He said, are you sure you're saved? And I just given the altar call. He said, you see, pretty soon, I'm going to have a new body. And it's not going to hurt me anymore. He said, God's been so good to me. He said, I'm going to have a perfect body. And he said, I want you to see me with my new body. But he said, in order to do that, you're going to have to be in heaven because that's where I'm going to get it. He said, you sure you're going to be there? I said, Kyle, I'm sure. Oh, he said, good. He said, isn't God good? I said, yeah, Kyle, he is. If he's been good to him and he has, what's he been to you? We have so much to give thanks for. If you only hear one thing, remember this. Thankfulness is a decision. God said, in everything, give thanks. It's a decision. That young man, he made a decision. His testimony changed my life. Would anybody around you say, I want to be like her. I want to be like him. I want to be thankful like that. Look out. Perilous times from such turn away. Lovers of self, proud, unthankful. I believe it's a great hour to be a Christian because God will give us the ability to do everything he's commanded if you and I will just make the decision 